Good afternoon. Welcome to the series security seminar at Purdue University. Uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Dr. Venkat, Venkata Krishnan. Uh, Dr. Venkata Krishnan is an assistant professor of computer science at University of Illinois at Chicago. He is co-founder and co-director of the Center for Research and Instruction in Technologies for Electronic Security at UIC. And his main research areas include web application security, browser security, mobile code security, and data tuning mechanism for addressing information flow confidentiality. He received his PhD degree from Stony Brook University in 2004, and he is a recipient of the Best Research Paper Award at ACSEC 2003 and the UIC College of Engineering Teaching Award in 2007. And uh, today, uh, Winkat will talk about how to defend against SQL injection. Thank you, Inghui. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, today I'm going to talk about uh, SQL injection attacks. And uh, this is joint work with my uh, student, Prithvi Bisht, who is at UIC, and, and uh, Shruti Bandakavi, who is a student at UIUC, and uh, P. Madhusudan, who is a professor of computer science in UIUC. So let's, let's start with a very simple example. You know, what I'm... What we are looking at is a phone book record manager, which allows users to edit their phone book entries. So this is the architecture of the whole setup. You know, you have a web browser. The browser, you know, receives this page, and you know that page is provided to the browser by a web application server. The web application server, when it gets some user input from the browser, it sends it to the database in the form of a SQL query, and the result is sent back to the application server, which then formats the result in a web page, and it's sent back to the browser. So this is a simple you know, web application that will illustrate some of the ideas that we're going to talk about today. So consider the case where the user enters his name, John, and password, OpenSesame, the phone book application allows users to either display or delete their phone book entries. So if the user chooses display, the phone book entries are displayed, provided the username and password are right. And if the user chooses delete, phone book, the phone book entry is deleted if, again, the username and password are right. So let's say the user cho chooses display. In this case, the SQL query that's generated by the web application server looks like this. It, is select star from phone book where username is John and password is OpenSesame. And the result in this case is that John's phone book entries are displayed on the browser web page. Right? So let's look at, you know, this is the typical scenario of the use of this web application. Let's look at an attack scenario. Okay? The user inputs John followed by a single quote or one equals one followed by the two dashes. As you all know, the two dashes that represent the comment character in SQL language. And let's say you know the user he enters a password that says the password is not needed and chooses display. Right? In this case, let's see what happens. The query generated looks like this. Select star from phone book where username is John or one equals one followed by comment and a whole bunch of things. 
okay, and password equals not needed. In this case, because the common character appears here, the rest of the query is commented out, and the condition 1 equals 1 is always true. So the, all the phone book entries are displayed because 1 equals 1 is always true. So in this case, the attacker is able to access all the entries stored in the database by a simple attack. So SQL injection attacks are a major threat on the internet today. Um, these are the data recorded from the common vulnerability index. And in 2004, among all reported attacks, SQL injection contributed to 5.5%. And in 2006, if you look at the same data from CVE, you know, it's grown threefold to 14%. In fact, in 2007, thank you, 2007 August, a report was released by Symantec where almost 63% of all vulnerabilities reported on the internet were either SQL injection or cross-site scripting. So SQL injection is a, is, a, is a very significant threat. And last year, in the card system security breach, about 263 thousand customer credit card numbers were stolen and about 40 million were exposed. So this was you know, covered widely in the media. So this is a very important problem. So in this talk, I'm going to talk about you know, the following. We want to take a web application and we want to transform the web application and render it safe against all SQL injection attacks. And what I'm going to talk about is something extremely simple and I believe it has certain novel characteristics. But the technique itself is, is very simple and very intuitive. And uh, this appeared in you know, ACMC CCS 2007. So let's look at SQL injection again and you know, refer back to the example. So in the example, we saw that there was a lack of separation between you know, code and data. That is, you know, user input, you know, input coming from the user that's untrusted is influencing the query. In, 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 the, in the example, we had an R coming from the user, which allowed the query to be changed, right? So SQL queries can be constructed in a program by arbitrary sequence of programming constructs. And these involve string operations like you know, concatenation, substring, and so on. And such constructs do involve untrusted user inputs. And normal cases, such inputs should be treated as mere data. You know, if a user supplies an R, that should go as, you know, a username with maybe R or a password with R, but in this case, it's influencing the query. It's influencing the way the query is structured. And so the queries intended by the programmer can be changed by untrusted user inputs. And this is the, the problem in SQL injection. So we want to dwell on this notion of change a bit before, you know, we understand this problem further. So let's look at the par structure for a benign query. So the query looks like this, select star from phone book where username is John and password is OpenSysami. So now this is the parse tree for the query. So there's a whole bunch of things on the left which parse select star from phone book which you know, are not very interesting. The most interesting you know, thing in this picture is the where clause where the where clause contains a condition term, you know, the keyword where followed by a condition term the condition in this case is an AND condition, you know, which has two subconditions, username equals John and password equals OpenSSM. Now, consider the parse tree structure for an attack query. 
first of all the query actually has a where clause in addition it has a comment the comment the query has you know the left hand side is the same it has a where clause and it has a comment so and then this you have a condition term but the condition term contains an or so what i'm trying to say here is that the query structure or the parse tree structure of a benign query is completely different from that of an attack query so if you see here you have an and in the condition term whereas an or in the condition term in the attack query and you have a comment you know and you don't have a comment here so if you have the token you know the parse structure of the two trees you know this is the programmer intended query and this is benign query and this is that query so the parse trees are not isomorphic so this is an observation that has been made in several works on sql injection you know so we want to start from here so the best defense against sql injection are what are known as prepared statements so prepared statements exactly address the problem of separating code from data so in my sql you know on the prompt you can issue a query in the form of a prepared statement like this so you can say prepare statement name from select star from phone book where username is you know question mark and password equals question mark now these question marks represent placeholders for input so any user input will go in here but it will never be used to parse the query so the query is parsed even before user input is received and so this provides a convenient mechanism to separate this query structure from any data that the program reads right so the statements are parsed once without any user input and not for every user input and this is the parse tree for this query so it is the best defense because now you have ensured that user input will never influence the query structure right so the problem is with legacy applications or applications that we use today you know applications that are deployed today adding prepared statements to them will prevent all sql injection attacks but it's hard to do them automatically you know we are talking about applications that are you know millions of lines of code and for each you know application for each query location we need to guess the structure of the query you know in order to write a statement like this we need to know what the query structure looks like at each query issue point and this is hard to do by you know static techniques because you know the query may depend on you know the particular path taken in the program and it may involve you know several procedures and static techniques usually make approximations and so it's hard to do this by static techniques so one one other option is to have a programmer you know sit with the application understand the application and you know add these prepared statements and not allow the program to dynamically construct query strings now this is an option but these changes are fairly non trivial and it's it is expensive for, to employ human efforts to do this kind of thing so the the natural question that we can ask then is whether it's possible to infer the query structure dynamically and that's the problem that we address in this talk so here is what we are said to do so there is an application and it receives actual inputs now these inputs may be malicious and what we want to do is to provide candidate or sample inputs to the application so we provide candidate 
inputs to the application. The application receives actual inputs. Now we want to execute the web application simultaneously over actual inputs and candidate inputs. Now the program on executing you know, over actual inputs and candidate inputs will result in two queries. There is an actual query and there will be a candidate query. So the actual query is you know, possibly malicious because it came with actual untrusted user input. The candidate query you know, is always non-attacking by construction. So now you have an actual query and you have a candidate query, you can compare the structures of these two queries. If the structures match, then you send the query to the database. If the structures don't match, then you disallow the query from being executed. So this is, you know, this is what we are set to do. And so we need to, so we have reduced the problem of SQL injection to the problem of guessing these candidate inputs. Because if somebody gives me these candidate inputs, then I can do the whole thing, compare the query structures of the candidate query and the real query, and you know, prevent you know, any possible SQL injection attacks. So, so we have to find a bunch of candidate inputs that first of all are benign and issue a query at the same query location. So look at this you know, application to the right. It gives you know, sort of the graph, the flow graph of a particular application. So you have actual inputs and the actual inputs take the program to a particular query issue location. So let's say this yellow location is a program point which issues a query to the database. Right? So we want to find candidate inputs that will take the application through the same path and issue a query. So now, if we are able to do that, then we can compare the query structures before the actual query is issued and detect SQL injection attacks. So, but in general, you know, guessing these candidate inputs that will take you to the same query location is hard. It's, in the most general case, it's undecidable. So, it is a hard problem, and so what we want to do is to avoid this problem. So, our idea is to first of all start with manifestly benign candidate inputs. So, for every string, you know, let's say user input is John, we want to create some manifestly benign inputs. So, a, a simple manifestly benign input is a string of A's. So, for every string, create a sample string of A's of the same length. So, for John, I will create a string of four A's. So, for password, if it is OAS, I'll create a string of two A's, right? And let's say I assign Boolean variables always true. I assign integer variables always to the value one, right? Now, the candidate input to this program is, you know, uname is four A's, password is two A's, and then display is true. So, these inputs by construction are benign, right? A string of A's will, you know, definitely not result in a SQL injection attack, provided the program itself is, you know, not constructing attacks, right? So, so we want to, we have, we have solved the first problem, you know, we have created benign candidate inputs. Now we want these inputs to issue a query at the same query issue location, right? So the actual, you know, program may take these candidate inputs and take the program, it may take the program along the same path to the query issue location. So let's look at this in more detail. So you have the original phone book application. You have, you know, input string username, string password, and the Boolean display, which when true, you will issue a select query, which when false, you will issue a delete query. So now look at the original input. It's John, password is OS, and display is true. So we create candidate inputs that are, 
you know a string of four A's, password is A and display is true. So now if I issue these, if I run the program simultaneously over these two inputs, I'm going to get two queries. Look at the actual query, select star from phone book where username is John and password is OS. Right? And the candidate query is select star from phone book where username is 4As and password is A. The query structures are the same. So username is you know same and the both queries have an AND clause. The only thing that differs is the actual literal string used in user input. So that's fine. So now let's look at you know another case where you know the user chooses John, password OS, and display to be false. He wants to delete, right? So now the, let's say I, you know, according to my earlier you know set of premises, I start with username A and password A and display true. So the original program will proceed along this path because display is false. Now my candidate query will proceed along this path and it will give me a select query instead of a delete query. This is a problem, right? I mean, now if I compare, even though the inputs are benign, I'm going to get two different queries. The query structures don't match, but you know, it's not the case that the program is under attack. So because the candidate query does not take the program along the same control path. So look at the actual queries. The, the actual query is delete star from phone book. The candidate query is select star from phone book. There itself, there is no match, right? even though the actual inputs are benign. So what you know we've learned here is that the query structure depends on the control path that's taken. So if the program takes this control path, then this is for this query location and for this path, there is a particular query structure. And if the program takes another path, say this path, then there is a different query structure. So it, it depends on the control path taken by the actual input. So what we want to do is to reject this candidate path. Instead, take the candidate inputs and force it along the same control path the, the original, the actual inputs took the, took the program to. So what this means is that when the program has a condition, I don't evaluate the condition on both candidate inputs and actual inputs. I evaluate it only on actual inputs and let that take the program to the particular query location. And at that point, I will compute the candidate query and I'll check the candidate query versus the actual query. So what this means is that I won't take this candidate input. I won't consider Boolean variables in my candidate input. So I will just take candidate inputs of a string of A's and password is AA. And if the original program, you know, takes this path, the candidate input will also take this path because now I'm evaluating display, the condition on display only on the actual input. So display is true, display is false according to the actual input. So that will drive the program to the actual location. So now, I'm sorry, the, the, the query should match. And there's a mistake in these slides. So, so evaluating queries on actual inputs results in the same delete query for the candidate query as well as the actual query. So this is the, the, the trick we employ. So the, 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 the formalism behind this approach is uh, fairly intuitive and simple. So when you construct a query, a query can be viewed as a symbolic expression on the actual path that is being taken by the application. So you have a, an application that are conditionals. And in, in the body of the conditionals, there are string concatenation operations. If you collect them and put them together, you get a large symbolic expression 
that actually uh, represents the query. So when you substitute the actual inputs, you get the actual query. When you substitute benign inputs, you get the candidate query. If these structures match, then it's not a SQL injection attack. And if these structures match, then uh, if, if it doesn't match, then you know it's an attack. And if it matches, then you know it's not an attack. So the benign candidate query is obtained by replacing you know the symbolic inputs with with benign inputs, right? So so this is how my transformation looks. So for every string in the program, I add candidate variables. So you have a string you name, that's an input, and you have a string password, that's an input. So you add a candidate string. You know, so this is a direct source transformation. So you add the the, the variable you name underscore c, and you add the the variable password underscore c. So now I look at every operation done by the program and I sort of shadow the operation on the candidate input. So in this case, uname, you know, first of all, I initialize the, the samples. So uname is initialized to a sample. So if input one is John, then sample is a string of four A's. If input two is password, that is OS, then password candidate variable for the password is a string of two A's. Right? So now look at how I transform. So I don't transform the condition. The condition is on the real variable. So now let's look at the body of the condition. You have the, the query, the delete query being computed. So we already added a candidate variable query underscore C. So we just shadow the operation except that we replace the original variables by the candidate variable. So the original query had uname. So I replace that with uname underscore C, password with password underscore C. In a similar way, I you know do that for the select query too. So I just you know shadow the whole operation, replace the original variables by candidate variables. So now when I come to execute query, I transform that statement into a statement that tries to match the query structures of query and query underscore C. If these two match, then I execute the query. If not, I just deny deny execution of the query. So we've seen the basic idea behind candidate. And now I want to give a couple of examples that show that the technique is remarkably resilient in you know several practical situations. So let's look at you know uh, input splitting you know function. So what it does, this application, it takes a string like Alan Turing, and it results in a query where it splits the name into first name and last name. So it results in a query where you say select star from table where first name equals Alan and last name equals Turing. Right? So now our candidate input for Alan Turing is going to be a string of you know maybe you know eleven A's, right? So the, the 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 place where the space appears is is index four, right? So now the function actually takes the first four characters and the last six characters. So let's see what the candidate transformation does. It starts with a candidate input of all A's because it doesn't know the logic of the application. It just, you know, it just uh, initializes the input with a string of all A's of equal length. Now, the instrumented input splitting function, what it does, it gets the value of space index because we don't transform integers. So, fn underscore c is input of, you know, c, input c from 0 to 3, which is a string of all A's. And ln underscore c, the last name candidate variable, is a string of six A's. Right. So corresponding to Allen and corresponding to Turing, 
So, the query generated will be select from table where first name equals string of four A's and last names. So, if you compare the two query structures, they are they are the same. So, in a in a in a typical you know input splitting application, you know these uh, the transformation works surprisingly simple transformation works. So, let us look at another situation where the query depends on some predicted over input. So, let us say the input is John, Jane, Mary and what the application does is counts the number of words in the application and constructs a query based on the number of words in the application. So, like a natural language search for instance. So, now the query you know is you know I am only showing the where clause here where name equals John, name equals Jane or name equals Mary. Right. So, let us look at what candid does. So, so candid initializes this with you know a string of all A's and results in a query with exactly three clauses you know name equals something, name equals something and name equals something. So, you have the exact number of clauses you know matching based on the logic of the application. So, if you have two words John and Jane it will still result in a query with just two clauses. So, it is it's kind of neat and resilient for these situations. So, if the input is just John and Jane then you result in a query with just two clauses. Okay. So, this is how the implementation works. The, there is an original program and then we we do the candid transformation on Java bytecodes. Bytecode transformation is particularly advantageous because you do not require uh, access to source code of the applications and this is all done offline. So, what you have is an instrumented web application that does this candid transformation. Now, online you when the browser makes a request to the instrumented web application, whenever the program issues a issues a query, we refer to a SQL parse tree checker that compares the real and candid queries. If these match, then the query is allowed to go to the database. So, so we evaluated candid over a suite of you know seven applications, and uh, five of these are you know commercial open source applications obtained from you know gotocode.com and we used it against an attack suite that had 30 different attack patterns. So, these attack patterns were constructed from you know common SQL injection patterns you know that were available from you know certain CC advisories and these attacks were constructed by an independent research group. And the test suite also contains benign inputs that you know are used to test for any kind of false alarms that candid may generate. And this is how we did the testing you know. So, we ran the system the instrumented application on a virtual machine, we ran the original application on another virtual machine and we ran a tester application that issued these web queries you know simultaneously to the original application and the instrumented application and it classified them as attack benign or you know parse errors. And these are the results from our experiments. So, as you see first of all these applications are fairly large over you know 10, 15,000 lines of code. We believe the candid approach can scale to applications that are considerably you know larger in size because it is extremely simple. And you know we had you know number of attacks for each application in which in every case candid you know detected all the attacks. And we also had you know non attack benign strings that contained SQL injection like patterns, but which were actually benign and those did not raise any false alarms. And there were a few 
queries that did not parse correctly and that were directly rejected by the, the backend MySQL parser and uh, we classified them separately. So, this is the, the performance numbers we have you know all the applications listed here. So, the, the blue one represents the original you know application time response time in milliseconds. So, what we did was you know provide a query to the web application and measure the response time. And the yellow one is the transformed application with the parse tree comparison. And the green is the transformed application, but without the call to the parse trees. So, as you see the transformation itself has negligible overheads and the, the, the parse tree encounters uh, a small amount of overhead. You know, in most cases, it's about you know 20 percent. So, so we believe that you know Candid can be implemented very efficiently, and uh, and uh, if we use if we used a more efficient hand coded parser for SQL, we used a very generic parser generator based you know SQL parser, and uh, and 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 so there was a there was a bit of overhead there, but uh, we believe we can it can be implemented very efficiently. So. So, after you know the paper original paper describes candid implementation at the bytecode level, but since the transformation was extremely simple, we could you know instrument we, we implemented candid both at the source and JVM levels. You know each of these levels have you know their own advantages and you know for instance you know what we did with the JVM was to have a candidate you know a candidate string for every string in the program not just user inputs. Now, the advantage of that is that you know you can run your web application over this instrumented VM and not do you know any changes to the original application. So, all you do is to change your Java you know interpreter to this new JVM that does candidate tracking and then you know you you get you know safe uh, safe web application that runs on top of it. So, so this this is particularly advantageous, but since we are doing candidate tracking for for almost all string variables in the program there is a considerable overhead for that and it can be minimized by you know propagating you know candidate strings which depend on user input and that is what we are currently doing. So, there is some more recent work basically uh, mostly related to uh, you know dynamic techniques and static techniques for uh, prevention of uh, SQL injection attacks. First of all you know the most common defense employed is you know input validation, but it is kind of well known that you know these are not robust against different formats of strings. So, for instance, if the backend uses you know alternate encoding, attacker will be able to inject you know SQL commands into user inputs that make use of these encodings, and this may improve the input validation function. And mostly, you know, programmers there are you know lots of you know bulletin board forums which describe how these input validation routines can go wrong. So, the notion of comparing parse trees is a much more robust notion for defending SQL injection attacks. So, there are you know static analysis techniques that you know that that are that that solve a slightly different problem. They are used for merely identifying which user inputs you know reach a SQL query without being validated. So, that is the that is the objective of static analysis techniques. So, they are merely used to identify vulnerables vulnerable applications vulnerable locations in an application they do not offer. So, for instance, if an application does input validation they do not offer any assistance to check the soundness of the sanitizing routines. And another recent work involves use of static analysis to build you know query structures and use that for 
for dynamically preventing attacks. So you can you know guess the structure using static analysis at each query issue location, and then you know at runtime you can see whether the query received matches any of the queries that you learned by static analysis. And uh, we've shown in the paper that this is not robust when the query depends on predicates over the input because it it loses track of control flow. So there are other you know dynamic techniques uh, that that people have worked on so primarily it involves information flow tainting so so you taint user inputs as it enters the program and then you see whether the tainted input contributes to sql query structure and uh, these we believe are you know are uh, the best defenses for uh, sql injection we also have a very detailed compressor for instance you know when you know you have a third party function for which you don't have access to using a tainting mechanism you should assume that for instance all the the result that comes back from the, the third party function is all tainted. And so this may generate false positives, but using candidate, if the function doesn't have side effects, you can make calls to the function twice. You just supply the candidate string once and the actual string once, and then you get back the results and compute the candidate query. So there are several detailed comparisons that are shown in our paper. And so, you know, the contributions of this talk are primarily a technique to defend SQL injection attacks by guessing or deducing the, the programmer intended query structures at runtime. And it's resilient to different scenarios that might occur in real code. And you know we did several experiments on real code and all attacks were defended and there were zero false positives. And you know, and the message that you know we want to give at the end of this talk is that dynamic techniques are best suited for defending SQL injection attacks. I'm early. Yes. We've got a lot of time. So, your approach works for Java. Uh huh. So, if you want to use your approach for other It shouldn't matter. The language shouldn't matter at all um, because the transformation is extremely simple as long as you can implement this. this so, the JVM approach works for works for applications written in Java, JSP, and so on. But if you, it, it, the transformation itself is not complicated. It's just replicating or shadowing the operations done on real variables on can. You can even use some kind of textual parser to implement the transformation. It's, that's probably what's needed, nothing more, because all it requires is initializing the candidate, candidate variables, and then you know replicating the operations done on real variables on candidate variables. So it should be fairly easy to implement on on uh, on any programming language, provided you want to do the source transformation. So, uh, is that does it address your question? Uh, so, could you go to the slide where you have uh, three user names and then separated by space? Mm -hmm. So, so I think the effectiveness depends on the string operation. So, suppose I have a function which. Uh, return the substring uh, ended at the first space. And then I, I so I, I issue that call and then I get the first substring. And then the second call is I get the next portion that are from the first space and the second space. Mm -hmm. So then if the string is here, then the first call will get John, the second call will get Jane, and, and, and the third will get Mary. But if I issue it on the on the on this in, input, I will the first will be all A, the second will be empty string. 
So it depends so, on where you implement the transformation. So, are, so are you doing the call to that function? So are you looking at where the space is in the code, and then you are making a call to return? So, so, so that so if if the function gets an integer index and mm -hmm. then get a substring, so this would work. Mm -hmm. But if the function uh, the, the the library call directly return a substring, start from the beginning, ending at the first space. So, so because it's a string operation. I guess you would uh, issue the same call on the string method and then... But as I see it, the logic of the original application is now put in this third-party library function. Is that what you're saying? So now the library function will have to do the same thing. It has to search for the string based on, you know, it has an integer value and then it computes a substring. Right? So, so this is really, for example, in Java, I, I, they probably, I don't remember the, the string API, they probably do not have this function. Um, so, all, you're, all so, so you're, you're going to uh, uh, kind of change the Java library function source as well if it's implemented? So we are doing it at the bytecode level. So for instance, we, are, we can transform everything you know, that is available in bytecode form. So, 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 so then it will work at the JVM level, but if you do source transformation, then that may not work. So right? in that, you are, we are assuming here that the source for that library function is also available if you're okay, doing so you are doing that. But our mm -hmm. primary implementation is on bytecode, so it will oh, work okay, on that. Okay. So, so it depends on how deep you can go into you know, the, the implementation of the functions. Mm -hmm. So at some level, if there is a call, and if the call has, you know, uh, if, the, if the source for that is not available, then, uh, then yeah. It, but, but then, you know, uh, but then, you know, you, you, can, you can do this bytecode transformation and... Uh, yeah, but, but then, yeah, for, for other languages may... Uh, so almost, yeah. so al almost, not almost, almost, all library functions in Java have this property that the 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 length of the string so that is so we we have this notion of length preserving the paper mm -hmm. so almost all functions in java are length preserving which means that all our transformation is sound for all the functions in java api but you know i am sure you know you can you know create a situation using a third party function right. which has a side effect side effect as in in this case it depends on some value which is not available to candidate in which case the real and the candidate strings may differ, right? But we have not encountered such a function in the actual examples that we have tested. And we believe that, you know, if given access to all the sources, you know, this our transformation will work. Yes? I can run, but I think in Java, strings are constant. That when you create a string, you can't change it without changing the reference. No, but, uh, so I, I don't... So, so you, you wouldn't worry about the length changing the string because... No, no, but... It's not just a string. I mean, you, you compute a string from another string. So you take a string and do a substring, and you compute another string. So you need to create a candidate string for this, for this new string that's being constructed. And that's, so even though strings are not manipulated directly, you can do string operations and get new strings as a, as a result of those operations. So, so in which case, you have to create these candidate strings.